1: 6.30 Chad inside sports with Reed Wilkins weekdays at six on 6.30 Chad.
2: 4.57 left in the third period. Vancouver up 3-2 on St. Louis. The Blues do have a 33-21 advantage in shots. Vancouver leads the series 1-0. Start of the second period in Toronto. The Capitals lead the Islanders 1-0. Islanders are up 1-0 in that best of seven. 8.30 tonight at Rogers Place barring any extension of the Vancouver-St. Louis game. It'll be the Stars and the Flames. That series tied 1-1. Good game last night. Avalanche up 2-zip on the Coyotes thanks to a 3-2 victory this afternoon. And the Montreal Canadiens taking it to the Flyers. 5-0 is the final. That series now tied 1-1. 780-496-0063 is the number to call or text. I'm very happy to hear from Goalie Doc, who is always uh, very interesting whenever he calls. And last time Goalie Doc you uh, reveal that you're a physician, and we talked a little bit about the virus, so I appreciated that perspective as well. What's on your mind tonight?
3: Oh, I'm just talking about memories about watching hockey and stuff. I think the Oil, K- Oil Kings played also in the Jasper Place Arena. Uh, their goalie was Ian Wilkie. He played against uh, the Moose Jaw Canucks that game, and the goalie was Ken Brown. And I, I don't know if it's the same person who went into became a sports announcer, they were really good goalies, and uh, I think, uh, I don't know if uh, Bill Hunter was coaching them at that time, but he used to be the coach of them, the the original ones, I think a long time ago. I think Halsey was probably calling the games then. <laughs> anyway. Oh, probably. And the other thing Sorry. I was going to say is I, I was lucky enough to see the first game of the Alberta Oilers at the the uh, Coliseum when they played the Cleveland Barons and. They gave certificates out to the people who attended it. Actually, I went to it with my dad, and that's uh, down memory lane. So I just thought I'd let you know about that. But I think I think that's why they call the Jasper Place Arena the Bill Hunter Arena. So,
2: right, uh, yeah, and that's the story. I, I was it? Uh, I think I think Rod Phillips told that story that they were still installing seats. In the Coliseum, as fans were coming in for the first game, they were still putting in bolting in yeah. the final few seats. Uh, yeah. so yeah, that's pretty good. Did you watch a lot of the Oilers, Goalie Doc?
3: Uh, yeah, I watched uh, the you mean the recent games? Yeah, I did. Um, uh, it's, uh, I think, like most people are saying, I think it's been pretty dissected for now, and uh, um, we're all upset about the fact that they didn't win. And, and again, I think the thing is, they were, I think they underrated, uh, The Chicago Blackhawks but you know if you really think about it if you think about the game they gave up where they they got the two late goals and then the fact that if you think even about the fourth goal uh, AA hit the hit the crossbar there and didn't get his rebound and if he scored there it could have been a different game so we could have been happy talking about them in the playing in the playoffs so I mean that's hockey, I guess. eh? I guess you know with the balance, but I, I think they're being pretty hard on. Like the other thing is I, what I was kind of upset about, uh, and I think most people agree, is kind of blaming, saying that uh, McDavid and Drysdale don't have any leadership skills and that they didn't show any leadership. I don't, sh- I'm not sure what game they were watching, uh, uh, with, with uh, McDavid scoring the first goal in a bunch of games and getting a hat trick, and then Drysdale playing. So I mean. I don't think that they, they lead by how they play. So I think that's a, I think it's just sports writers wanting to write about something. And, and, uh, uh that's the thing. Anyways, that's my take on it anyways.
2: Yeah. Well, I think, yeah, I, I think that, that it's, it's part of the discussion, but I don't think it's the primary.
3: Yeah.
2: There were a lot of things in that series that were not up to par compared to the regular yeah. season and you're yeah. into goaltending. And I think goaltending is, is one of them. I mean, they didn't get yeah. a lot of big saves in that series.
3: Yeah, it was funny because they. It, I don't think either go, until Crawford probably, re, won, you know, won the game for the Chicago in the last game. Like what was it, 41 saves he had? And I mean, he uh, I think it got like
2: up to 43. Yeah,
3: 43. He played like he used to play when he uh, when they won the Stanley Cup and that. And I mean, he he was. You never know. Like the first few games, maybe he was still sick from recovering from the COVID. You know, so you never know. You know why he didn't play up to par or whatever. And you know he was late coming in too as well, but again yeah i mean the goalie i think both teams didn't play and, and yeah just a little bit disappointed about yeah expected more from our goalies but you're right yeah
2: yeah and i think with mcdavid and dry they there and i said it earlier in the show we all know connor is not a master checker would i like to see him yeah. improve five percent in that area sure yeah. but i think uh I think McDavid and Drysaitel. It's it's like the old saying in in football, right? Your quarterback yeah. gets too much blame when you lose and too much credit when yeah. you win. And and I think yeah. they're when they lose, I mean they they scored fifteen goals and McDavid had nine points. So, yeah, I know. <laughs> and and somebody said to me, I referenced that I, I talked to some former players, yeah, and. Uh, you know, they tell me stuff, not off the record, because they know I'll probably use it, but they tell it to me anonymously. And and one guy said, like, if you're a depth player, you have to chip in. Like, you can't just be even all the time, you know? Yeah. Or accept, yeah. like, you have to score sometimes. You know, like, you can't, you, can't just, yeah. you can't just play your 12 minutes and think, okay, I'm just going to try not to allow a goal. I mean, yes, yeah. at some yeah. point, you have to think, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be the hero tonight. I'm not just gonna wait for yeah. Connor and, and Leon to and, do it. I think that's and, a bit of and, a pro- problem too.
3: Yeah, the other thing was with Ethan Bear. I think they were, you know, like on that last goal, that last goal where uh, Jonathan Caves, Taves made that play on him with him to his back, and then the guy shot, scored, put it up in the top corner, which is a nice shot. Maybe, you know, if it was Grant Fear, he would have said, "I should have had that." But, uh, anyways, the thing with that is, is you, I'm sure that. Uh, that Ethan Bear on that, I, I don't think he was well after getting hit. You know, that was a pretty major hit. Oh. I, would, I wouldn't have been surprised that he was, you know, I mean, they would have been careful about him going back in again, but you know how players are. They'll probably say, oh, I'm okay, let me go back in, especially if it was an important game. He could have had, I don't, we don't know, he could have had bruised ribs, he could have had that, so I, I thought they were a little hard on him about that goal, because uh, I know he, uh, you know, he lost, uh, you know, he got Caves beat him and, you know, put the puck to the front and scored that goal. But I, I find that some of the people, I found it best, I think it was uh, one of the writers in there said, you know, he talked about the, bar, the, the battle worn Bear about after getting hit there. And I thought, I just thought maybe i am a little bit sensitive, but I thought they were being a little bit... Uh, critical of him when they really don't know what kind of shape he was when he was playing that last period yeah
2: well you make a good point he I, like i i don't know but i mean yeah. maybe it could have been ribs or that was a pretty uh, uh, hard hit and also again on that play and that's what i'm talking about team defense yeah. i mean you can't i realize fans get upset and they're emotionally yeah. attached to the team but no yeah. player is going to win 100 of his battles. Crosby doesn't yeah. win every puck battle, yeah. so Bear lost the one-on-one puck battle. It was it was a two-on-five. Only the rest yeah. of the Hawks were changing. Only Taves yeah. and Kubalik were in the offensive zone. Yeah. So why does not another Oiler just go stand next to Kubal and that's what I'm talking about, starting and stopping earlier in the show. Yeah. Don't do a flyby yeah. backchecking. Go yeah. stand next to the guy who might get the yeah. puck. And, and, yeah. and tie up his stick so yeah I, I don't really I mean bear like sure he lost a battle but I don't really fault him uh, effort wise yeah. or, or anything yeah. there sometimes that's gonna happen yeah. anyway goalie Doc I always appreciate hearing from you hope uh, you know everything is well in your world I know you're taking care of a lot of people so I appreciate that yeah.
3: okay thanks a lot Reed
2: okay so let's let's just get to the McDavid clip today asked about uh, uh, about where the team is at defensively
0: you know, obviously it's not where it needs to be um, you know teams that win are the teams that defend and you know we uh, we haven't seemed to figure that out yet so um, like I said I, I thought we did you know I'm, I don't know how, how else to say I thought we took some big steps you know playing playing defensively uh, during the season yeah, just wasn't there in the, in, in the regular season um, you know personally um, obviously could be better um, you know but uh, you know it's yeah, whatever. Yeah, it could
2: be better. All right. So that's McDavid sort of, I think, running out of things to say there. And and I, I put a lot of it on, on team defense. And they here's the thing. In goals against in the regular season, they were 15th. 31 team league. And St. Louis just tied the game with five and a half seconds left. So the Oilers improved defensively. Now, maybe a lot of that was on the PK, but PK is part of the game, and the PK is a big reason they they uh, they stayed ahead in one game, two against Chicago. So I think, like they they the players aren't sitting here saying, "Well, we we like uh, we think we played awesome." I, I think they know there was something lacking. I, I think they know they could have played better. Maybe not a guarantee that you'll win. Certainly not a guarantee that you win this round if you would have got past Chicago. So, I mean, look, we're talking about it a lot. People love the Oilers. They're like, they're they're obviously the number one team in town by a a wide margin. So, I think that I'm going to go back to what I said before. All the flaws that we were afraid the Oilers had reared their ugly heads in the postseason, and few of the strengths were apparent and certainly not often enough. So I don't think Ken Holland is going to overreact. I, I think even had they won the series, you still were worried about the where there's five on five game and a little bit of depth scoring. I think you were still a little bit worried about the goaltending and you probably still realize they need a couple defensemen who can move the puck a bit better. It's, going to get more talk because they lost and, and that's how it goes. But, but to me, my, my perception of the team doesn't really change in terms of what they need to to move up a tier in the standings in terms like, as I've said all year long, I think they're a good team. They're not a great team. I mentioned the elements that they're missing to be a great team. Easier said than done to get them. Um, but it's not as if I'm surprised by the deficiencies I saw against chicago i'm just surprised i saw them to that extent and that often and good call from goalie doc i'm gonna stay with you here till we till they break till we get a decision in st louis vancouver the goal is under review so it was a fluttering point shot coming in from the line david perron tipped it out of the air and they're reviewing it for a high stick now i don't have my audio up so i'll just have to watch and see what the referee signals he is talking and he is pointing to center ice and the Blues have tied it with five and a half seconds left in the third period. Dramatic rally there from the Blues. Seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. If you'd like to time in inside or chime in inside sports on chat. What is this, Kellan? Slowing it down a little bit. Slowed it down. Uh, This is Europa by Carlos Santana. There we go. Ross writes in, he says, regarding the Oilers, if I may say so, I believe passion and work ethic were the most important missing ingredients in the playoffs. So disappointing. Yeah, a little bit missing there. Uh, Like I've said before, I I don't think pro athletes uh, go to the rink saying, well, we're not going to work as hard. But I do think that uh, sometimes you have a slump or you get in a rut. Or you don't, uh, or you show up a little late. Ken Holland mentioned that he didn't like their their first game, and that kind of put them on the on the back heel for the rest of the series. We have Rob on the line as well seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three.
3: Good evening, Rob. How you doing? Quite well. Good. Um,
4: I've been listening to uh, you and uh, Bob and the other sports station, and everybody has your thoughts on what happened and. A lot of people say his passion and work ethic and I I, my opinion is I think because it was so close to training camp maybe the passing of Obi Cave uh uh Cave had something more to, to do with it because it was uh because he what well, we uh, know of him now and how uh, nice of a person he was so glad I think that had a bigger effect on the uh, team than uh they uh they realized
2: yeah, it could have. They, they certainly, obviously, spoke very highly of him. And uh, I believe Dave Tippett made the point uh, shortly after he, he passed away that he would have been, he would have been one of the guys in the bubble, right? He would have been on on the roster. Maybe he's not on one of the top top four lines, but he, he he would have been on the team. Yeah, I don't know. That's a, no one's brought that up directly before, so. It could be something like that, Rob, I don't know for sure, but that was pretty tough, obviously, the the way that uh, the the team and, uh, you know, obviously his wife and family, but that was, yeah, that was a pretty sad situation. But, yeah, it wasn't, uh, it didn't, to me it didn't, I don't know if you felt this way, Rob, it didn't feel like, and I know there was a four-month break, but I I didn't feel like I was watching the same Oilers team that I saw from October to the middle of March a lot of of the time.
4: Exactly, and really, I mean, everybody had the same break, and I think the only difference was... uh, that he uh, just passed away so close, wasn't it during or just before training
2: camp? Uh, well, he passed away in April, so it was, it was about a month after the season paused, yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's just my uh, my opinion. Thanks. Oh, hey, yeah, that's good, Rob. I appreciate you sharing it, man. Have a good weekend. That's Rob, seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. Uh Connor McDavid, who a couple times last year... Uh, after a loss late in the regular season, and then in, in his postseason availability, was was pretty blunt about uh, frustration with where the Oilers were at. So today he compared this summer to last summer.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, let's take where where we're at, and at then this this off season as opposed to last off season. So we definitely made strides. Um, you know, we definitely brought in pieces, and um, you know have a little more stability. I think um, the last season we didn't even have a GM um you know we you know there was lots of questions what was going to happen in the coaching spot and, and you know now that those holes have been been filled and and uh you know with great uh great people and and uh you know, definitely a little a lot more stability and um in terms of the players i think we took a step in the right direction um with you know knowing what uh we have to do to be successful um you know we did most the regular season and obviously when it came you know, time when it mattered most, we we, we dropped the ball. But, um, you know, I think uh, we still made some steps. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll learn and, and grow from it. Well, after
2: last season ended, and that was in April, not in August, they didn't have a full-time coach. Hitch was an interim coach. They didn't have a full-time GM. Keith Grisky was the interim GM. And despite the flaws on this year's team, they, they didn't have a very good roster. I mean, they, they were finishing last season with... Probably eight or nine forwards who were either fourth line NHL forwards or who belonged in the American Hockey League and, and were playing regularly in the where there's lineup over the last couple of months of the season. So I do think that's a fair comment from McDavid. Hey, he uh he called a historic game earlier this week from the Tampa Bay Lightning.
3: Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
2: Radio network. You'll get to know Dave Mishkin, their play-by-play voice when we get back. Overtime just underway, 40 seconds into Rogers place. Vancouver and St. Louis tied 3-3. The official time of David Perron's tying goal, 1953. Vancouver went up 3-1, about five and a half minutes into the third. Sammy Blais scored at 9 2 and then Perron at 1953. So that game in overtime, Vancouver leads the series 1-0. The Islanders leading the Capitals 3-2 with seven and a half minutes left in the third. Oh my God, the Canucks almost scored. I got the tv right in front of me this tv is a lot bigger than the one in the studio kelvin so i can react quicker nice uh, redirected point shot and Bennington was looking to the corner and instead the puck was coming towards the front of the net and it hit his right pad without him even uh knowing it and then it was cleared by st louis anyway islanders up 3-2 on the capitals in the second period stars and flames still to come at uh rogers place provided this uh St. Louis-Vancouver game doesn't go all night. The Avalanche beat the Coyotes 3-2 to lead that series 2-0. The Canadians tie their series with the Flyers with a 5-0 win.
1: And it is one for Shattenkirk at the right point. Zips it find the net. Point waits for it there. Great right in point of the left circle. The peel toward the center point. Keeps it in for Kucherov. Right circle shot blocked. Rebound Sergachev. Right circle Kucherov shoots blocked. Point high slot.
0: Shoot. Score! Score! Score!
3: And they
1: lead the series 1-0.
2: Yeah, that epic game from earlier this week. Five overtimes between the Lightning and the Blue Jackets. Fourth longest game in NHL history. And the voice on that call from the Tampa Bay Lightning Radio Network, Dave Mishkin, joins us on the line. Now, Dave, how's the throat uh, throat and the voice uh, doing after calling that game?
1: Feeling good, thanks. Yeah, I was... I was actually feeling okay during the game. I was actually like physically hot. <laughs> you know, like, we call the game from Amelie Arena, where it tends to be on the chillier side, particularly if you're living in Florida, they try and keep it cool. So I have a jacket on while I'm, while I'm calling these games remotely. We do it from our media room, which has a variety of different monitors, big monitors. I mean, it's a great setup if you have to call a game off a monitor. By the time we got into like period four, five, six, I needed to take the jacket off because I was getting really hot. That was, that was the most physical, um, the, the biggest physical ramification probably from having to call the game. My voice will get more tired, I think, if I'm elevating pitch. And as strange as, as it was to say, it was mostly like regular play by play. I mean, there were scoring chances over the course of seven and a half periods. How can there not be? But there were not as many as you might think. And as a result, it was more just speaking for a long period of time. And by the end of the night, like when I got home after the game, my voice felt pretty tired and it was tired the next day. But it was. It felt much better yesterday, and I was able to call a regular 60-minute, three-period <laughs> game with no ramifications. So, but thanks for asking.
2: Have you given any thought to, and I'm coming here from the angle, it's the fourth-longest game in NHL history, your call's going to be replayed a lot? I mean, not just this year, that's, that's an epic, memorable game. Have you thought about having your voice on such a significant moment in league history?
1: I I guess not. I mean, I guess maybe I'm in my own little bubble too much that that I haven't really thought about that. I'm thinking about the series. I'm thinking about the fact that it's 1-1 and the Lightning probably let Columbus off the hook a little bit yesterday based on how they started and they grabbed the lead. That's kind of what's at the forefront of my mind. And look, I understand that when you get into the playoffs, Certainly, and I've been fortunate enough to broadcast some games in years in which the team has gone deep and won the Stanley Cup in '04. they got to the finals in 2015. You understand that memorable calls in big games where the stakes are at their highest will probably live past that moment. But I don't think that I go into a broadcast thinking about that. I go into the broadcast thinking about broadcasting the game. And, you know, I, I've done this since I was in college, which is going back many decades. So I've called a lot of games. And I don't know, maybe because I've called so many games, I mean, I've never, I've never actually added them up, but I'm probably in the, the 2,000 to 2,500 games games broadcast at this point between college, minor league, and then the NHL, and I don't know that you, you think about the sorts of things that, that you are asking about when you've called that many games, because I've had a lot of dramatic calls to make, more than just one or two, so it, I think it just comes with the job, and you try and do the best you can, and And I can't control how much that call is played or not played. I just try and do what I do and let the history books remember me or not. I mean, I I think that's kind of the mindset that you have to have, I guess.
2: Dave Mishkin joining us on Inside Sports Play-by-Play for the Tampa Bay Lightning on their radio network. Uh, and, of course, that's a 1-1 series tie. We should, we should touch on the series here. Uh, obviously, the, the shocker last season with Columbus taking down the Lightning, how much do you think from a Lightning standpoint that figures into what could happen this year?
1: Well, if you are to ask the players, probably on, on both sides and the coaches on both sides, they would say not at all. <laughs> They've gone to great pains to mention that repeatedly and it is true the rosters are different for both teams now i can't speak for columbus i can say the lightning did make a concerted effort both during the off season with the players they brought in during the offseason and with the moves they made at the trade deadline to change the makeup of their roster And coming off a year in which you win 62 regular season games, you're not necessarily going to be changing the makeup of your roster based on that, right? So you're changing the makeup of your roster based on what happened in that four-game sweep at the hands of the Blue Jackets. So from that standpoint, they've gotten grittier. They've gotten more physical They've gotten more of a grinding personality, not up and down their roster. I mean, they still did lead the league in offense this year, and they're still primarily a a speed skill skating team that likes to make plays. But they have guys who can grind out shifts. And I think not only in terms of how they made some roster adjustments, also they made some adjustments in how they want to play. And it's not like a complete metamorphosis read from from the way they played last year, but it's more making some adjustments in their mindset to become maybe a little more risk-averse so that, you know, if you have a 2-1 lead in the third period, you don't need to make a play to go up 3-1. If the play is there to be made, fine, but there's no reason to force it and if you win the game 2-1 or you win the game 6-1, it doesn't matter. It's still a win. And I think getting that mentality in place where sometimes you see a, a chance to make an A or an A-plus play, but if that play doesn't work, it might lead to a chance against. Settle for the B play or the B-minus play. That's okay. And live to, live to play another shift. And, and that's, that's kind of what I'm getting at in terms of a change in the approach of how they want to play the game based on score time situation. Mm -hmm. And interestingly, I did not think the Lightning had a particularly strong game two in that regard. I thought that they did try and press and that fed right into Columbus's hands once the Blue Jackets got the lead. Talking about after the start. The start was really good for the Lightning in game two. But through 150 minutes in game one, The Lightning really played that way. I mean, that game does not go into the fifth overtime. If the Lightning were taking huge risks and being like the riverboat gambler (laughs) trying to win the game now, I think they showed a lot of patience in their game because they know that Columbus will have patience in their game. And I think that's going to be the interesting dynamic as the series progresses, particularly if the games are tied or one team is up by one goal or down by one goal, will the Lightning be able to execute with the same methodical patience that they showed for the vast majority of that first game, which was really the equivalent of two and a half games. So that's, that's how things have changed a little bit on the Lightning side. But they're facing a team that can D up really well, and they protect the front of the house really well. They block a lot of shots. It's hard to get shots through. It's hard to get second opportunities. And when they get the lead, talking about Columbus, they batten it down even more. So that is the challenge facing the Lightning or any team that plays the Blue Jackets. And they're going to have to find a way to, to navigate through that challenge.
2: Dave Mishkin joining us on Inside Sports. Yeah, well said. I think a pretty good, uh, pretty good observations on on the Lightning and, and playing that playoff style of game. Hey, Dave, it's cool here. Uh, one thing we've been able to do sort of during during the pause, and I want to do it a bit with you tonight was we we profiled some different play by play now announcers from basketball, football, and hockey uh, in in North America. So I've never really done this with you in our previous interviews. And you mentioned the thousands of games that you've called. Where did uh, did this play-by-play journey uh, start for you that eventually brought you to the Tampa Bay Lightning?
1: Well, I caught the bug. I may have actually caught the bug when I was much younger than when I was in college. I remember having this board game of baseball Uh, Stratomatic baseball, which was really popular when I was growing up. I think it's it's still popular now in digital form It was not available in digital form when I was a kid, but I you know It's like a you had dice, and you had stats for, for different teams, and you know you would play a game You could have two people playing each each person could take a team But I would sit in my room, and I'd play a game between two teams by myself, and I I would broadcast the imaginary game. I was like 11 or 12 so I probably had it in me (laughs) even before I knew it was something that I wanted to pursue. Of course when I was 11 or 12 I wanted to be you know the starting shortstop for the Mets or something like that (laughs) and that definitely wasn't in the cards. But by the time I got to college and learned that there was such a thing as a college radio station that broadcast the games that the university played I got involved and I joined my sophomore year and did a lot of practice broadcasts into a tape recorder which was what we used in those days, a cassette player and I would go to games with my tape player and, and record and listen back to the games for critiquing purposes and share them with the upperclassmen who also provided input. And by the time I was a junior, I was getting an opportunity to do play-by-play in a variety of sports, football, basketball, some baseball, and a lot of hockey. I was the only one who was really interested in doing hockey play-by-play when I was a junior and then a senior as well. And I went to Yale, which you know, is renowned as a great academic university, which it is. But they also have and had a Division I. Hockey team. So the team during my four years there was not very good. They have since gotten much better. They actually won the national championship in 2013. When I was at school the team struggled on the ice more than it had success on the ice but I was still calling a fairly high level of play because it was division one. You had some teams that were competing for national championships playing against Yale. And so on the strength of a couple of years of doing play-by-play, I recognized that I wanted to pursue hockey. I had a bit of a knack for kind of seeing, digesting, and then spitting back out player numbers. And if you can't do that, you're going to have a hard time in hockey play-by-play. You just have to know the, you have to know the players. If, if you're falling behind with the players, you're falling behind on the play, and it becomes a real struggle. That was not really a struggle for me. Now, I had other parts of my play-by-play that certainly needed honing and maturing, but keeping up with the play was something that that I was able to do from, from the earliest days of doing it, which helped. And so really, on the strength of probably 55 or 60 games over my last two years at school, I was able to parlay that into getting a minor league job in the ECHL with the Johnstown Chiefs and they are no longer in the ECHL, this was 1991, but at the time they were, I believe there were maybe 15 teams in the ECHL my first year in Johnstown, 91-92, and then as it is now, the ECHL is kind of like two steps below the NHL, there were more minor leagues though too, you had the IHL, you had the Colonial Hockey League that, that was kind of comparable to the ECHL. of course you had the AHL and my third year in Johnstown we affiliated with Hershey which is a long-standing AHL team and at the end of that year Hershey had an opening their broadcaster moved on to the Atlanta Knights in the IHL and as is often the case you know like once you're in the business it's not like the jobs are easy to get but you do start to to be known because you're working in the game and maybe you work for somebody who then knows somebody who's in a position to hire someone. And it doesn't mean you're going to get the job, but they can, they can speak to your work ethic, they can speak to your dedication, they can speak to how much of a team player you are, which is information that is important to a potential general manager making a hire beyond the demo. And that's where being in the game, I think, helps because people get to know you outside of the booth. And that's a big part of it, particularly in the minor leagues, you're riding the bus with the players, they don't want to hire someone that it's going to be a mistake and a year later they have to go back to the drawing board and hire somebody else. So that's really where word of mouth can help and it's hard to have that word of mouth in your corner if you're not working in the sport. So in many ways, the first job is the hardest to get. Not that the next ones are any easier, but I had three years in Johnstown, then I moved to Hershey, which was the top affiliate at the time of the Flyers, and then with the Avalanche, and I spent eight years in Hershey. So I had 11 years in the minors, and that's where I got just about a 1,000 games of experience. The general manager who hired me in Hershey in 1994, Jay Feaster, by two thousand two, was the general manager of the Tampa Bay Lightning, and John Ollers, who was my predecessor with the Lightning on radio, took the TV job with Anaheim. He's still there, after almost two decades. But Jay called me and said, "Get your stuff down here. John Ollers may be getting the job with the Ducks on TV." So I got my demo stuff down there. The GM does not make the hire at the NHL level. There's a broadcasting department that does that but certainly having Jay there to say look I hired this guy <laughs> that that went a long way. Bob Hartley too who was our Calder Cup winning coach in Hershey when I was there in 1997 by then was coaching the Avalanche and had won a Stanley Cup with the Avalanche made a call to the lighting on my behalf because he had worked with me and we had a relationship so it's. It's a large part of it is the demo and how you sound on that demo, but there are a lot of really qualified candidates up for these jobs. So then it comes down to kind of the intangibles and sometimes they work in your favor, sometimes they don't. I applied for a lot of jobs where I didn't get a sniff, but the lightning job opened at the right time for me and I was fortunate enough to get the opportunity and I've been here ever since.
2: Yeah, that's awesome. I love that journey, Dave. Thanks a lot for sharing that. And thanks for uh, giving us your experience of the the lengthy overtime game. I know you're back to work here tomorrow, so I really appreciate you taking time to check in on 630 Chet. All the best, Dave.
1: My pleasure, Reed. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, right on.
2: Great to talk to him. Dave Mishkin, he's the play-by-play voice for the Tampa Bay Lightning on their radio network. A couple people texting in. This guy has a great voice. Sounds awesome. And uh, yeah, his name's on uh, his voice on one of the greatest goals, uh, well, most significant goals in NHL history for long overtime games. Absolutely. Oh, by the way, while we were talking to Dave, it's over. Bo Horvat on a breakaway in overtime, 5.55 into the extra frame. Great pass from Quinn Hughes. Canucks beat the Blues 4 3. They lead the series 2 0. Back after the break. hope you're having a great night so Bo Horvat scores in overtime David Perron had tied it at 1953 the third for the Blues Horvat scores 555 into the extra session how about the Canucks 4-3 victory they lead the Blues two games to nothing after two periods in Toronto Islanders and Capitals it's a 3-2 lead for the Islanders they're up one nothing in the series the Stars and the Flames will be pushed back a little bit because of the Vancouver overtime. Uh, It'll start just before nine if you were planning on watching that one tonight. Uh, 857 Mountain Time, John Shannon tweeted out. That's game three of that series. The Avalanche beat the Coyotes 3-2. They're up 2-0 in the series. And of course, the Canadians taking down the Flyers 5-0. That series is 1-1. Thanks to Dave Campbell, the producer of Inside Sports, Kellen Kennedy, your studio operator this evening. My name's Reed. Hope you have a great weekend. I will talk to you Monday at 6. Take care.